Welcome to the Career Conversations podcast, brought to you by Hunter Recruitment Group. My name's Craig McGregor, and today we have a really open and frank discussion with a local guy, Andrew Hughes, local to the Maitland region, or recently local anyway. You'll hear his story in our conversation, but his openness, his authenticity really shines through in this conversation. So sit back and enjoy this career conversation with Andrew Hughes. Today's podcast is brought to you by Hunter Recruitment Group, specialists in permanent recruitment, labour hire and HR consulting. Start a conversation with us today via our website, hrgroup.com.au or at our socials, Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. Welcome to the Career Conversations podcast, Andrew Hughes. Thank you for having Craig. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. I'm excited about this one. I've known you for a little while and I think your story is quite fascinating. So I'm really excited for the listeners to be able to hear about um, where you've come from and where you got to and we'll talk a little bit later about where you're going to. So maybe let's start at the start. So I know you're a lawyer by trade. Tell us about that. Yeah, I um, I think I was about 11 when I had a great epiphany. It's early to, to be become a lawyer. lawyer. It is, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, I think I was 11 or 12 and so I, don't, I just decided I was, uh, I was going to be a lawyer. Do you have any lawyers in the family or is it... No, no, I was from farming family and I... Uh, yeah, so no, none of my um, cousins or anything, they, they hadn't been to uni, I suppose, that I was one of the first tranche to, uh, to go to uni, yeah. Okay, so why law? So 11 year um, old, what you know, did you I see think I thought, I thought about this because I often wondered once I got there, I was like, oh, why did I end up here? But I think... Um, Mum got divorced more than once, um, and uh, and as happened in those days, she came, she came off a bit second best, and I had a sense of it being unfair. I think from an early age, I had an idea that the law provided black and white rules, and it was about fairness. And I think unconsciously, that's what drew me into it. I mean, little did I know when I got there. <laughs> It's not quite how it works, but um, I think that's what uh, got me focused on being a lawyer from such a young age. So what sort of law was it that you practised? Um, well, I practised being a criminal lawyer, not a criminal per se, but that's um, uh, when I got into the law. First, I thought I'd get into um, family law because, you know, I because got, again, because of what happened with my yep. mum. Not once, but not twice, not but three times. Wow. And... Um, and then I studied that, and then I quickly worked out, oh, that wasn't for me. Um, and then um, there was a, uh, a very colourful uh, raconteur down in Canberra called Jack Pappas that, you know, was a man about town and, and was known to have fights with judges and to be outrageous. And I've got a bit of an outrageous streak. So I actually saw him talk at a university, and I thought, I'm going to work for that bloke. And uh, lo and behold, that's who I went and worked for. So I ended up doing crime. Tell, tell me about that. How did you... Cause I'm sure there's a lot of people that watch Mark Burris on TV and go, I want to work for that bloke. But yeah, how did that happen? Tell it's me. It's funny, you know, when you set your mind to something, it just uh, it just happens. I just decided I was going to work for him. And then, oh, you know, just it's one of those things. One thing led to another. Next thing you know, I was around chatting to him and he said, you know, right out, Hughesy, you got a job. And I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> like, I remember when I got there, I thought, this is incredible. How did I end up here? I mean, he wasn't paying me a lot. And my first, my first office was actually an old filing. It was down in a basement of a building and they had a, a file cabinet. Oh, sorry, a little room for files. It was like a broom closet. Um, no lights, uh, no windows. So I had a little lamp and I had a little 
You remember, Craig, they had used to, um, beside your desk, you'd have a file hanger, a little square frame on wheels. Yeah, I might not be as old as you. No, okay. <laughs> and you'd have the little file sleeves and you'd stick your files yeah, in. Yeah, I know what you're I had about. one of those. And then when he'd, um, when he'd uh, carpeted the place, he, he'd pinched a carpet tile sample thing. So it was a number of carpet tiles. And they were in a sample pack with a bit of perspex on the back. So I flipped it upside down. So that was my desk. The carpet oh, yeah. tile sample with the perspex top sitting on top of a um, of You're a like file a hanger, legal MacGyver. Yeah, and 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 he and I'd had to have, he'd he'd set me up, but I have meetings with clients, and I'd have to go around hunting for an office because I mean I couldn't. Yep. Or I couldn't take a phone call because he didn't have a phone in it. It was just this little. Seriously, it was probably about I don't know, probably so four. What sort of line. law did he practice? Was he criminal? Yeah, he was. A, he was mostly a criminal lawyer. So he, you know, uh, a lot of our clients were rebels bikers. Lots of murder cases. Lots of serious assault cases. Yeah, anyone who wanted a fight. Um, Jack Pappas was renowned. One, remember one of my first cases, I went and sat the last day of a murder trial as the instructing solicitor. Dreadful case. Bloke had thrown a tin of petrol on, on allegedly, <laughs> on his wife and set her alight. Yeah, wow. Woohoo. So you <laughs> left or you didn't want to do the uh, family law because you thought that was a bit negative and you went into dealing with murder yeah, cases. Yeah, yeah. And, and I did, so I did crash and bash, slip and fall compensation. Yep. And I did that, and I I had been a, a worked for a judge at court, so I knew a lot of, I knew a lot of the local barristers. So I just loved the court work, you know, chance to be a show pony, go over have, and I, I just, it was just fun. And um, but after five years of, uh, like, firstly, I never thought if you go and work with criminals, some of them are criminals. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that would be. I was there to horrifying. defend the underdog, you know, defend the wrongly accused, and. Um, uh, and then, of course, I got sick of people lying to me. I never put two and two together. If you're a criminal lawyer, you will have people who will tell you porkies. Yeah. And um, and when you, it was your job, I I wasn't able to play it sufficiently like a game. I got I you know if they were if they were lying to me, I found it difficult. Yep. Um, whereas you know to play the game properly, you've got to just divorce yourself of all of that. Which kind of goes against why you got into it in the first place from that yeah. word fairness. So yeah, yeah. Because in the end. Uh, the blokes who are the best at it, the men and women who are the best at it, the ones who could play it just like a chess game. It's just totally a game. It's all about winning. It's not about right or wrong. Yeah, and, okay. and after five years of that, I was like, oh, my God, can I do this for another 35 years? Probably not. So then I moved on to a different sort of law. Yeah, what was that? What sort of law did you move So to? I got into working with the Australian Government Solicitor. And the thing that attracted me again, the fairness thing, Craig, because what attracted me was the model litigant policy, which was... You can't cheat. You're not meant to use your size or your, you know, the fact that you've got heaps of money to grind the other person into the dust. So I went and did that. I ended up doing big cases. You remember when, you remember when the Avgas, there was an Avgas problem and all the planes in Australia got grounded? Remember oh, that? Yeah, I can, I can remember that, yep. Yeah, so I worked on that, potential liability for the Commonwealth arising out of that. Okay. So that was, you know, would there be a counterclaim against Shell, blah, blah, blah. So that was interesting. Um... When um, HIH insurance collapsed, sued yes, the Commonwealth for $5.6 billion. I was a solicitor on the record defending that case yeah, on behalf wow. of the taxpayer. I actually got to appear in the High Court. I've had, a, I've had one hearing in the High Court, which yep. I won before Mary Gordrick. <laughs> so I was batting one and zero. Yep, 100%. <laughs> yeah, that'll do me. <laughs> um, and then I, you know, and I, cl- I climbed the heady heights of... Um, of, uh, so this spent, is more of a corporate world. Yeah, in a more of a setting. corporate world. Yeah, and yep. in a government setting, lots of advice to 
you know, big advice to government and blah, blah, blah. And then I did that for a while and then I moved, got into the sort of the management stream. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Within that sort of legal structure? Yeah, yeah. So managing lawyers. So I'm, I had a big team of 70 I managed, uh, which, you know, which was great fun. It was all my friends. This is all in Canberra? All in Canberra, yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, if you want to do big government law, Canberra's the place to do it. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I managed, you know, so I managed people. And I had, a, that was, when I managed people, it was interesting as a lawyer, your skill comes from how good you are at the law. All of a sudden, I become as a manager. Well, You're dealing we, with personalities, and nobody really does management. Like you know, when we did uni and a law degree, nobody taught you management. Yeah, good point. So, I remember going off, and I was like, "Oh my god, what?" A, what? So I thought, "Well, just, yeah, what case law can I look up to yeah, deal with this personal just, issue?" So I'm just being me, and they're all saying, "Oh, you're doing a great job," and I was like, "Well, I don't know what I'm doing." <laughs> <laughs> and it was weird. I had a real challenge. Uh, intellectually, because before being paid to disagree, I could justify my salary. Now, all of a sudden, I felt that I was just paying to be myself. I was getting paid to be myself, and I felt actually guilty about what I was getting paid. It was very weird. Yeah, that, that is odd. Um, because mm. that's, that's most people's utopia. Yeah. Just find a job where they can just be themselves and love. And I felt guilty. And get paid for it, <laughs> and you felt guilty. Wow. Yeah. How long did you feel like that? Probably, probably was about a year and a half before I felt it was okay to ask for uh, a pay rise or a bit more money. Yeah, okay. And I was doing, you know, uh, might have been longer, might have been almost two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell me about why you left that industry, the law, and le- and ultimately leave Canberra. What was the epiphany or the reason there? Um, well, I had a bit of a midlife awakening, midlife crisis, some people call it, mm-hmm. but I got to about late 30s I wonder whether the trigger was dad dying and, and you know when you when a parent has a you know it's a pretty shakes you up a bit doesn't yeah. it yeah and um, yeah so dad died at 57 from colon cancer yep and yeah, I remember he was at my place he was putting up a shed like you know he, he was like most sons and dads would do yeah yeah he come to my place putting up a shed and he was complaining he said I think I got a cold in my kidneys it's a bit sore yeah and he went and got diagnosed and that was uh, I think that was November and he he was dead in six months. Yeah, wow. Yeah, and it was a horrible way to go. Yep. And that was when I was, he was 57, I was 37. So that really so, impacted you in what you thought was important in life. Yeah. Well, I started to, you know, I, you know, I was cranky when I got home, smacking the kids, you know, I was wound up, I was, stress was pretty high. Yep. I was doing very well, I was very, you know, I was doing very well. I was a medium-sized fish in a medium-sized pond. Yeah. But, but that's... To the outside world looking in, you're doing well. But oh, yeah. for you looking externally, yeah. I'm not doing well. Yeah. Well, I just... Yeah, so I, I just didn't... And I remember asking myself, God, am I going to do this for another 25 years? Is this mm. it? Yep. And then, then the next question I asked myself was, so if where I was working, if, if the whole organisation got fo- swallowed up in the next year... Would anyone care? And I couldn't help but think no. <laughs> so, so it's funny, you know. You have that. So I thought, well, what am I bloody doing it for? Because it ain't fun. And that that got me. I, I thought for a long while about moving sideways. I applied for other jobs in other, you know, in other similar size organisations in a management stream. And all the while, I'm thinking, but I'm a lawyer. What can I do? I only can do law. You know, I had a real mindset which was limiting about yourself. Yeah, yeah, about myself. 
And then I went away, would you believe it, Craig, I turned, wasn't, was I 40? I think I turned 40, yeah. Just had my fourth child, Lee was all of a month old, and Annabelle's only eight, so I had four. And we went away to my in-laws for um, a month, and every day I said to Karen, right, I'm going to meditate every day. Only time I've ever done it, every day for an hour, got up, I got the kids ready in the morning, settled them in, Karen slept in, she'd come out at nine, I'd say, right, I'm off, and for between nine and ten, I meditated every day for a month. And at the end of two weeks, I had this inkling that maybe I could no longer stay being a lawyer. And after three weeks, I had this deep body certainty. I didn't, it wasn't I was thinking about it, it just came to me. So you were (coughs) getting to the realisation that that wasn't what you wanted to do, but were you discovering what you wanted to do at the same time or not? No. Yeah, good. I was just getting to a point of knowing. That's not it. And it wasn't an intellectual knowing. Mm-hmm. It was a come from another place knowing of, yep. you know what, you cannot. So, so by the end of that four weeks, uh, I knew that. It wasn't that I, I wanted to leave being a law, lawyer. I just knew I couldn't stay. Hmm. It just was no, it wasn't an option. People used to say, oh, here's you're so brave. Because when <laughs> I said I was going to leave, they're going, you're mad. Yep. I was on big money. I was on the, you know, when I told them, they offered me the next role, you know, the next, you know, I was, I was the blue-eyed boy and I had a career set for, for life. Um, but like you say, that, that control or your own destiny is not there. I had a similar story when I left mm. a big organisation to, to not, not to start my business at that point but to come home to The mm. Hunter. There were some guys at that organisation just going, you are the craziest person on earth. You could be a big player here one day. I think it was 10 years after I left, that company's no longer in Australia. <laughs> that control would have been taken away from me and yeah. that reality wouldn't have been there. So, you know, one decision may lead to another or a different reality, but it's interesting that, yeah, you get that conversation from older people who have a different look on life mm. and career and you've got to make your own decision, which you did. Yeah, yeah. So what happened next? I went to Nabiak. Yeah. <laughs> From Canberra to Nabiak. It's I'm not an interesting recom- change. I'm not recommending it to anyone, <laughs> in all honesty. <laughs> Hopefully we've got no Nabiak listeners. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, you know, um, it, was, uh, it was a shock to the Why system. Why Nabiak? My in-laws were there. Yep, family. So, you know, my father-in-law, God love him, had, you know, a bunch of properties, was anxious to get us closer, loves his family to be close. Yep, wants to see his grandkids. Yeah, I mentioned to him that I was... Um, that, you know, I was thinking about, you know, maybe we might leave. And he said, oh, well, I've got a farm over there. It's got a spare house on it. You come up here and stay as long as you like. Won't cost you anything. So it just made it easy. Mm. And, you know, Karen had been complaining for 15 years of the cold, like camp is cold. Yeah. And so the thought of, so that, that was a sort of a double Did Did she have benefit. a career or was she a career mum? Uh, well, like Karen's a lawyer as well. Yep. Karen was a senior associate with um, Dibs Barker Gosling. I don't know what they're called now. Um, but so did moving to Nabiak, was she a part of that decision? Or yeah, like well, she change? had. She'd stopped, she'd, she'd stopped work probably about, oh, I don't know, two or three years before we left. Yeah, okay. Because we had so many kids. Yep. You know, we, once we had, we had three and daycare was killing us, I think Grace was about two and a bit maybe, and then Karen the same. And once we had four, well, it was just, you know, totally off the cards. <laughs> um, yeah, so, well, Karen, you know, to her absolute credit, you know, she's... Um, been incredibly supportive 
and when I said to her, look, I think, you know, I want to throw it in. What are we going to do? I said, oh, I don't know. We'll do something online with my brother. That was a crazy idea. Um, she said, okay, if you think so, let's do it. So you wouldn't have been able to do what you're doing now without the support of a fantastic oh, no. woman? No way. No, no. I never, I, it just wouldn't have happened. If she had said to me, um, look, are Pull you crazy? In, stay in the law. Yeah, yeah, come on. We, you know, where we're going to get the money. If she had been, thankfully, she's a dreamer like me. Um, but I, I would have backed off. In fact, when I said it to her, I was sort of, I remember when I, when I raised it, I wasn't with absolute conviction. I was sort of seeing what she said. Yep. And then when she said, let's do it, I was like, oh, okay then. Fantastic. <laughs> All right, so Nabiak, so you're meditating, you've uh, uh, made yeah. the decision, you're now living on a farm, big change from Canberra. Was this when you discovered what you wanted to do? No, so I Not went really into business still. with my brother. <clears throat> okay. Because it's funny, you know, I got out of Canberra. One of the reasons I got out because it was values inconsistent. Mm. You know, I just every every day a little bit of me was dying because it was so not me. You know, when I was living that dual life, Craig, you know, you'll see people, one person at home, one person when they, when they're at work. Yep. You know, at work I was paid to suck up to people, be nice to people I really didn't like. Different mask putting on. Yeah, and I was over it. So. And then what did I do? I got into working with my brother online, selling information products. Yeah, okay. he, he had, he'd made quite a lot of, like, an insane amount of money in the pioneerish days of the internet. And she said, oh, well, you come and work with me and we'll do something separately. And we'll, you, you won't get paid for it. You will just, if we make a profit, you get, you know, we'll share the profits. Yeah, okay. So we did some stuff with an online product. Um, it's a bit embarrassing. I don't really want to talk about it too much. But it was, you Come know... On. We, we, Let's hear it. It was all about weight loss surgery and about information about weight loss surgery, which is big in the States. We yeah, thought okay. it was a market. We pretend, you know, we set up this persona that wasn't us, you know, that we, we were pretending we were someone who, you know, to build an audience, blah, blah, blah. And... Um, Six months of insane work. And like, I'm a gregarious, you know me, I'm a gregarious, mm. happy-go-lucky person. I love people. Here I was working online, hiding behind yeah. an avatar. That doesn't sound like interesting. No. And uh, we launched in, I, I spent like 70 grand. We went overseas twice, these huge internet marketing conferences, you know, lots of woohoo, yeah, <laughs> woohoo, you know, high fives and everyone getting pumped and their adrenaline rushing and, oh yeah, yeah, I'm going to change the world. You know, at a cost of $5,000 US plus accommodation, plus the travel, plus yep. everything else. Um, spent 70 grand and then I remember we launched this great product and uh, waiting, waiting, <laughs> waiting. Oh, I'll just duck out for a loop. Uh, come back waiting, waiting. We made one sale at $19.95 US and that was it. Yeah, wow. After 70 grand. So then I sort of got depressed. Yeah. <laughs> and Karen bought me a book called The Passion Test and Shivani would have talked about that yeah okay yeah yeah when she actually used to be a passion test facilitator yeah great and um, and of course I just did that and that's pretty basic stuff but I just got back to why did I leave and of course I was what am I doing and that got me into the whole leadership you know understanding yourself managing people loving people helping people find their dream their passion their purpose so does that come Napping back to the when you were a manager in a law firm and you we talked about it five minutes or so back and you felt like you were you? Yeah. You're now discovering that you want to do that but for businesses, not just for one business. Is that kind of what you did? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And the reason I didn't throw myself into it was because I was terrified. Yep. Because it's funny, you know, when you, when you work for somebody, you're selling their services. Correct. So if you, I could go and do sales for anyone. 
as long as you've got a reasonable product, I could do sales for anyone, I'd be good at it. That's what I was at the law firm. I was mm. selling services of my law firm. Like we were, you know, we were selling doing $120 million revenue a year. Yeah, big, but you're place. in a, if I look at that, mm. you're correct, that you're selling services of a law firm, but the person selling it is Andrew Hughes. Mm. And the people buying it are buying Andrew Hughes. That's the difference. If you're online selling weight loss as an avatar, they're not buying Andrew Hughes. Exactly right. <laughs> and so that's that's the key key difference there, isn't it? It is. It's because all of a sudden I was selling me. Yep. And I found that absolutely. And and still it's terrifying. Well, even that, like if I, I've known you for a little while now and I've watched your evolution with such joy. Mm-hmm. I remember you were called Dare to Excel. Dare to, to Excel, start, which was hiding. Which is hiding. It's not. So now your website is called... <laughs> Andrew Hughes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> took me a long time to get there. Yep. And took me a long time to be able to just offer myself up and offer what I know that works up and not feel totally vulnerable. Yeah. And I and I am at that place now. Yep. I mean, I still nobody likes bad feedback. Yep. Um, so don't give me any. But you know, <laughs> um, nobody likes bad feedback. But nonetheless, I have got to a place where I'm not so fearful about that. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. So tell me how that started. Like, I remember still pressing the button on this business and day one and being scared and thinking, where am I going to go? Tell me about Dare to Excel, the first iteration of you working for yourself and how yeah. that started. I think of the very first training, I actually went and did it for my old law firm, and I look back now, I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> like, as I, I almost feel like I should give them the money back. It was <laughs> terrible. I mean, I thought it was great and the manual, and I look at it now, it's so unprofessional, so amateur, hit and miss, you know. Well, I still remember the first time I saw you, uh, what's was it called, perform, but um, <laughs> do some speaking, and it was in a little, I can't remember what the venue was, but it was in this little venue in Newcastle, and I remember, I think I gave you the feedback, I just went, Andrew, you're trying to tell me everything. You were just so energetic, and you yeah, were so yeah, fast, yeah. and you were yeah. so... Um, just wanting to give, yeah. but we just it just got lost because you wanted to give so much. And then I remember telling you about ten years later, I went to another session of yours, and I just went, "Man, you've evolved so much, <laughs> and how great it was." So it's a journey. Is and, and there's a great saying: in order to get, in order to be good, you have to give yourself permission to be terrible. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, and you know what? You, if if you're not getting better, then you're not doing it right. You're yep. always going to look back and not. Be not you know be think oh geez, that wasn't as good as I am now, um, but of course what I did was I it's the beginning I, I so I did a bit of that and I tentatively did that and then lo and behold I went and got a job working with uh, selling Franklin Covey material, yeah okay. so now I could do the one on one stuff it was material that was sort of stuff I believed in, but again it wasn't so you were my stuff contracting yeah yeah so it wasn't my stuff, so again that was a little bit of safety and of course what happened is I did that for a while. I was getting a bit comfortable. And then, um, you know, from my perspective, I got done out of about $80,000. Oh, wow. Yeah, which was a bit of a lesson. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so that then, that was another bolt from the universe, which was, you know, that's, you're not here to be and parrot everyone else's stuff. Yeah, you're Andrew. You left to be on this journey, whatever you think it is, and it wasn't to just go and parrot someone else's stuff, so stop it. So that then, you know, reinvigorated me and, um, yeah. And then it's been a journey, you know, it's been a journey then since then, just 
always evolving. So tell me, what is it that you're doing? So I'm doing a lot of um, I'm doing a lot of um, working with personality now, which I think you know until I find the next hidden key, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> this is the latest one. Um, I think this is um, because a lot of the, all the stuff I've taught has been a bit co- cookie cutter in a sense. It's it's standard ideas that are a bit of a be-all and end-all and fit everyone. And the reason they work with some and not others, and some people like it and some people don't, is because it doesn't really take into account that we've got particular personality traits. And if we look at a population broadly, we can identify archetypes. Hmm. And so I'm now using... So you're talking like Colby, those sorts of yeah, things? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, using a, I'm using a tool called the Enneagram. You've okay. probably heard of it, but the Enneagram is like ancient. Mm-hmm. It goes back to um, uh, Evagrius, Ponticus Evagrius, in about the 3rd century AD, went and meditated. Anyway, long story about him, but he went and meditated on what were the nine things that were between us and our divinity. And by divinity, I'm not talking in a religious sense, I'm talking in a sense of the greatness that we have within us. And he came up with these nine ideas, and then it was in the 6th century AD that I think it was um, Pope Ivan the Great, said, oh, of these nine, I like seven, and those seven became the seven deadly sins. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. And what they are are there are ways of approaching life, and I don't teach them in the religious sense, but the ways of approaching life and habits we dip into, which are at the very basis of personality, and they come down to these nine archetypes. So I find, so I'm finding it, A, fascinating, B, it's been absolutely life-changing for me and Karen, mm-hmm. absolutely life-changing, and see, when I go and talk to people about it, everyone can find themselves. So you're delivering this in a one-to-classroom style or one-to-one? Both. Both, Both. okay. So I'm doing it in a, in a keynote style, mm-hmm. so in a, to leadership teams and we just brush on it. Then I'm doing um, sort of leadership day seminars where we go through and help people identify their styles. And then we get down to the next level, which is, okay, how does it impact on how you relate to people? And then we start to say, well, okay, for example... There's one particular style in this which which um, likes to be in control. And when they get pushed, you would have seen these people in, in your game, yeah. they get very bolshy and they can't help but be intense and they like to up the action. And if you draw a line in the sand, they'll step across it. <laughs> and if they give a line in the sand, they never back down. Yep. Think of Donald Trump. Yep. Uh, Donald Trump, you remember Donald Trump's book, is it, is it Winning or whatever is or The Art of the Deal? There's a whole chapter on revenge. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so he's a classic style that we would call the challenger. It wants to show strength because underneath there's a fear about being seen to be vulnerable. So wants to show strength, right? So here's someone, and that's that, that same person, if you've got a problem with them and you don't just be up front with them, they have no respect for you. If you come to them and want to talk wishy-washy feelings, they'll think, ugh, just get on with it. Yeah. Right? Now, let's put the other side. Let's put it classically people you might see in HR or let's say... You might see... You stereotyping me, Andrew? No, no, certainly wouldn't stereotype you, Craig. But, you know, let's let's think of the person who's the real relationship builder. Mm. The person who sees is the giver, you know, who sees everyone through the the uh, the lens, as everything's the lens of relationships, that real relationship builder, yeah? So that's that real, that real giver. Um, so that person, of course, hates conflict because I don't want to upset you. Please, the last thing. And they're great flatterers. You always want one of those guys as your friends because 
they always want to build a relationship. Oh, geez, you're looking. You are looking good today, Craig. Can I say that? That hairdo. <laughs> Woohoo! You know, so they're great at flattery. They also want to talk to you about, yeah, is everything okay? Always looking after your needs. Some, uh, sometimes what those people can do is they're so busy looking after everyone else's needs and just hoping you work out what theirs are, they get absolutely exhausted and resentful because you didn't work it out. Yeah. Yeah? So imagine that two and working an eight together. working together. Yep. It would be very difficult. <laughs> Wouldn't it? Yep. Because the two's like, oh, well, yeah, okay. And the eight's like, rah, 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 rah. And then the two tries to have a conflict. Well, two doesn't want to raise an issue because two hates conflict, hmm. right? And the eight's saying, what's wrong with you? Just get it. Come on. So we've got this problem that the two says the eight's a bully. The eight says, well, that person's as weak as water. They're just all wishy-washy. And so we get this real chasm. So there's no communication. Hmm. Now, if, we, if they can each understand what the other's doing, then all of a sudden, oh, I see. They're just different to me. And that so you've used that in your personal life, you were saying. So you and Karen have yeah, looked at yeah, that. And yeah, yeah. And there's a family unit, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it helps you to communicate with wife, kids, family. <laughs> yeah. Although That's fantastic. The kids have said, oh, not that Enneagram thing again. Would you just stop <laughs> it? Stop trying to put me in a box. I'm trying to eat my dessert. <laughs> <laughs> but that's caused a bit of a change in the way I do things because I... You remember when I was doing all that resilient stuff that, come on, yeah, come on, bring it up, look at the ceiling, you know, yeah, yeah. all great stuff. But you know that that's actually the coping strategy of my personality style. Yeah, wow. So while it's useful and those things work, I didn't have the awareness that, you know what, I find that easy because that's my go-to. Mm. And for some people, that will be a total anathema. That's why it won't work. Mm. So now I can still do that stuff, but now I understand, you know what, it's got a place and you need to frame it in the context of, you know what, we're all different. Um, like, this, like an eight, for example, will think that's, might think that's all gobbledygook. The, the mediator, so let's say the mediator who's like the Abraham Lincoln type, you know, the, the great peacemaker, um, the thought of being at the front and going, yahoo, and jump like that is just no thanks. Not them. <laughs> They're the one in the room who just quietly sits back. Or look at the five, the investigator. The investigator, like the the scientist type, you know, you can imagine a room full of scientists, um, you know, uh, talking about their feelings. Hmm. Not likely. Not likely. <laughs> yeah. You know, looking up at the ceiling or um, or you know, uh, clenching their fist and air punching. You know, those things would not necessarily come easily for them. Not that they wouldn't work, but there's a immediate barrier to that sort of stuff. Okay. Hmm. Tell me about your favourite project or consulting or piece of work that you've done in the past few years? Well, actually probably one of the most fun days I had that actually ended up in the end going pear-shaped. Funny best day. Yeah, okay. But it was using... I had a team. I went to work with a team at a, at a big organisation. This team had been fighting for five years. And um, so we went down and I used this archetypal sort of analysis to get them to understand each other. And this is a group of people. So this team had been fighting for five years and people had come in and out, but you know, that whole thing. If the team's been fighting, someone comes in, well, they quickly work out, oh, okay, everyone's fighting here. Yeah. And we take sides and blah, blah. Anyway, I'd had some older people and some younger people. And we did, we used the Enneagram, we did some sharing and the honesty was unbelievable. Like there was this incredible honesty. People, like I had a whole range of, whole range of stuff that had come out in interviews beforehand that had been a bit, you know, people having digs, people, that's that person does this, this person does that, like lots of game playing. 
Well, as we went through all of these personality styles, people just start owning up their stuff. Yeah, and I know I do this. I just, I, I know, I'm sorry, I know I do that, and this is why I do it. People are going, oh. So I had this incredible honesty. Did it lead to change? Oh, well, hold on, let me finish the story. We had lots of <laughs> laughing. We had a bit of crying. It was fantastic, but there was one person in the room, or two people in the room, who were just having a shindig, like a head-on shindig, and then... So the day finished with, you know, on a high, group hugs, but then what happened afterwards, one person had to be in their bonnet and then went about a... Um, then went on a mission of... Um, of torpedoing the day and then gathered gathered allies and, and so the, all the great steam that had built up on the day got let out afterwards, which was a shame. Yeah, and okay. then that person then fell on this, you know, then ended up getting kicked out, but not before all of that had collapsed. But that day was... Um, so why was that such a great... Because it showed me the... Project. Well, there was that one person, right? Mm. There was that one person that, that sort of tea torpedoed it. But what, what it... Uh, what happened on that day is that people, except for this one, people who had not been honest with each other for three and four years were honest and made bonds and said some wonderful things like just, you know, some of the, the sharing between and the respect and the honesty and then, and then the gratitude that each had for the other was, I thought, profound. I just left the day going, my goodness, I could do I could, You know, that was a tough, it was a tough day. Yeah. But I could do that every, all day, every day. <laughs> was so good to see that honesty and that sharing. It was just a shame that one person just couldn't get over the hump, too heavily invested in where they were. Can I ask something? And this might be a bit too much to ask, mm. but so you've mentioned through this process, so failed internet um, sales business, yep. failed contracting through Covey. Mm-hmm. You mentioned some big cash that you've, that you've lost. Mm. Why are you still doing it and why haven't you just gone and got a, a job somewhere? <laughs> a level of insanity, Craig? I'm not quite sure. No, is um, it insanity? Tell me why. Um, <sighs> well, I don't know. Why? I just can't bring myself... I just can't bring myself to give up on making a difference to the world. Yep. And I think my opportunity to really make a difference... And look, I'm, I don't, I'm over the ego. I used to want to be on Oprah and all that sort of crap. <laughs> I'm so over that. I, I, don't, I don't care about that. But th- what I do has an opportunity to really change people's lives. And, um, and look, I've got lots of, I've got lots of life experience. I've, you know, I've been through a whole bunch of stuff. I've been mm. depressed. I've had high anxiety. I've, you know... All of that stuff. And I'm sort of out the other side. And I'm still working on my gear. Don't yep. get me wrong. So I think f- I'm probably now old enough and wise enough. I think I've got, some, I've got some stuff that can really help. And, you know, look, I mean, I had a 13-year-old boy come and see me. And, and this is not what a lot, a lot of what I do. I don't really do this much anymore. But he'd lost sight in one eye completely. And it was clearly psychological. He'd been to see urologist, eye specialist, he'd been up and down to Sydney, every clinic. His father brought him to me just out of, you know, okay, so sheer desperation. Find you? I'd done some uh, work with his daughter and, and again it came through Andy Crozier, mm-hmm. you know, Healing yep. Wave. Healing Wave, yep. Um, and I'd had some good results with her with some anxiety through school. And so he brought me the son and said, I don't, can you help me? And I said, I don't know. 
let's find out. So he did one session, no change. We did another session. We did. We, I just gave him some suggestions around his and then around his eye working. And then about two weeks later, um, he he said, "Oh, he's so excited. He's got this pixel of light. Not it's been total blackness for two years, out of one eye. Still opened. Looked yep. as though it worked, but something not was connected with the brain. So I said, "Oh well, there you go. Bring him back in." So he came back in. We did some more work, and he had some sort of stuff that had happened at about the same time. We dealt with that, and then. I then got a text, I've still got it, I still got a text from his father that weekend. Andrew, if I hadn't seen it myself, I wouldn't believe it. He's woken up this morning 100% full sight. Thank you. Yeah, that's now, amazing. You know, wow, that's not bad, is it? Mm. And, you know, that, w- like, you know, it's hard not to feel good about that. Mm-hmm. And so I, you want to deliver that to the world? Well, that's... <laughs> not that individual... No, not that individual stuff, but, but that... I think I can help... Well, I want to help people become more of themselves and to let go of some of the pain and the anxiety and really, you know, bring their best to the world. Yeah, great. That's the journey I'm on and that's what I want to help people do. And I think... Well, and I think... I know there's value in it, so... And look, I've known you for a while and you're a bit of a giver. Tell me about some of the community stuff you've done. I know you're a Rotarian, have done some work in there and you've sat on boards of not-for-profits. Why are you driven to help in the community? Oh, because I get asked. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> Surely that's not the only reason. <laughs> well, you know, there is a bit of a fixer-upper. I like to do a bit of the fixer-upper. Um, yeah, so, you know, I, you know I, I, do like a, I do like to see a problem and resolve it, and that's that whole, you know, that whole thing that blokes and, and you know, and, and, and women, you know, that we all like to do is, you know, think that we're making a difference in solving problems. Yep. So, and it is nice to, you know, it is nice to work in your local community and do some things for people, you know. Because, um, you know, we've got so much to be grateful for. I mean, I've got heaps to be grateful for, you know. Yeah. I've got a beautiful family. I've got a beautiful home. You know, I can run my own business. Um, and So there's a lot of people worse off in the world than me and it's nice to be able to do something occasionally. So we've had a really good chat about your progression. Huh. We've talked about what's going on in your career. Mm. We're going to put you in our career conversations time machine. So what we're going to do is we're going to rewind the clock to 20-year-old Andrew Hughes. Given what you know today, what advice would you give that 20-year-old? Oh, dear. I'd probably tell him, don't take it so seriously. Yep. Don't Um, stress. Don't stress so much. There's nowhere, there's nothing you have to do. And so you don't need to be in a hurry. In, In fact... If you develop a habit of following your nose and being still long enough to hear life talking to you and act on that, you'll live a stellar life. That's pretty good advice to be still. 20-year-olds aren't still. No. No. (laughs) You know, and and it's, it's it's that striving, striving, striving against yourself. And, you know, it's hard to do when you're 20 but the sooner you can begin to learn about yourself, you know that great saying, was it Aristotle, you know, know thyself. It's like two words, there's a lifetime in there. Yep. And a bit of it comes with time and wisdom. So that's what I would say. Follow your nose, don't take it so seriously, and just have fun. Cool. Mm. What's next? What next for Andrew Hughes? Um, What's next is... 
really probably for the first time in my life being actually quite serious about bringing uh, because now the personality for me has been a bit of the missing piece over so the first time in my life actually going to organize organization and saying you know what i've got a long a long program or a series of steps you can take that i can guarantee if you do it it'll improve the way people res uh, relate to each other, it'll improve their lives, it'll improve their, improve their efficiency, performance, and not only that. So you're going to improve their lives, which will improve the business performance. Yeah. Rather than I'm here to being a business coach looking at your business performance. Yeah, well, you can't take people out of business. Hmm. I mean, if you just, even it's all computer programs, don't get me. <coughs> yep. <laughs> but anywhere that people are involved, personality's involved. Yeah. And personality drives behaviour, communication, everything. It drives everything. So if you can get understanding, you think of the best teams you've ever been involved in where people just understood each other, they had compassion for each other, they made allowances for each other and they were still inspired by the business. Now, you know, everyone's doing passion and values and all, all that. And, you know, I do, I do a bit of that. But what I'm really loving now is helping people really understand how they work and how they work in their team and so that team dynamics. So that's what I'm doing. Do you think you understand yourself better today? Oh, so that God. you can deliver that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't know what. Mm -hmm. The number of times I've got up and, <laughs> and presented stuff not actually appreciating that it had my personality bias unconsciously all over it. Mm. Like, you know, okay, well, it's not, doesn't even bear thinking. And most people never realise that just because they never stop long enough. Um, and now that I've realised that, it, it's sort of, I can celebrate who I am, but I can also laugh a little. And not, you know, again, helps you not take it so seriously. Hmm. Hmm. Mate, thanks for being so open and sharing with our career conversation today. Really appreciated your time and hope you enjoyed your visit to our podcast. No, it's been fantastic. Thanks, Excellent. mate. Good luck for the future. You too, mate. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Career Conversations podcast and special thanks to our guest today, Andrew Hughes. As we discussed in the uh, podcast, his website is andrewhughes.com. So please, to find out more about Andrew, check him out there or find him at LinkedIn. We're loving bringing these career conversations to you via this podcast medium and we'd love your feedback. So please head to our website, hrgroup.com.au and leave us a note in the podcast page. Thanks again for listening. I'm Craig McGregor.